0: This morning we are up to number five. So, does anyone actually remember the theme that we were doing like six weeks ago? Um, you can have a free coffee if anyone actually remembers. Do you remember? What was it? We yeah, we can be heroes. You don't count. You live with me. <laughs> free coffee. I haven't actually arranged that with Shane. So, You probably won't get one, but good on you, Jed. He actually listens to me. So what we were looking at, um, if you remember, was actually, uh, we can be heroes, but we're looking at the calling of God on our life. You guys remember that? This morning we were looking at the calling of God uh, on our lives. Hello. That might need to be fixed. I have a mild case of baby brain this morning. So if I accidentally preach heresy... um, Neville can fix it afterwards. You can fix it, can't you, Neville? Just fix it. Just fix it all. Um, (laughs) I'm in this stage, though. This is a tangent. I'll stop prattling in a minute. But I'm in this stage where you just literally forget what you're doing as you're doing it. Does anyone like, anyone who's had a baby knows what I'm talking about anyway. So I put cinnamon in the fridge the other day and I'm just like walking into rooms. And so I don't know. I could forget what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. So I just need mercy this morning. And I can't drink as much coffee as I usually would either. Like I have a limit. You have a limit when you're pregnant. It's so bad. So I can't do like, (laughs) you know... The, like triple shot espresso, but that's okay. Anyway, so we were talking about the calling of God on our lives and we were going through the judges, uh, through the book of Judges, all the major ones. There are six major judges in the book. and uh, But the, the key scripture that sort of undergirded the whole thing was 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, where it says that um, it says, God who first saved us and then called us to his holy work. You guys remember that? So we, we were talking about how we're not just saved, but we're called. We're, we're saved and we're sent, okay? So that's why we wanted to look at what, what does the calling of God look at? And we had week one where we looked at Othniel, the, the model saviour, the white knight judge, <laughs> to be fair. I plagiarized like as little as I could from your notes, Neville, so he's looking at me like, white knight judge, that sounds familiar Um, (laughs) because I read some of his notes. But anyway, um, so week one, we looked at Othniel and the upper and the lower springs and we talked about how the foundation for our calling in God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what qualifies us. The Holy Spirit is what initiates our calling in the kingdom. Okay, do we agree with that this morning? And week two, we looked at Ehud, the left-handed savior, my favorite, my favorite, the lefty. And um, we looked at owning your sword. The first one, own your thirst. The second one was own your sword. And we looked at the role of the word of God when it comes to our calling the the word of God in and applying to our lives. And then in week three, we looked at Deborah and JL. That was over at Billy. And the role of, um like, our gifts and our passions and our strengths when it comes to our calling. And I think I preached more on JL than Deborah because it was going to be, like, the fourth sermon I'd done on Deborah this year. And I was like, okay, people are going to start getting bored. And then... Um, Week four was own your backyard. And we looked at Gideon and how he did deliver a nation, and, but it started in his backyard. And we looked at when it comes to our calling and fulfilling it, we start where we are. And we start with local missions before we go global. And we just start in our own backyard. Is that okay? We just start. You just start. As soon as you're saved, you're sent. Okay? So we just start. And so now we're up to week five. And the judge we are up to is Jephthah. Can everyone say Jephthah? It's a bit of a tongue tie. In my notes, it just says JP because I cannot be bothered writing Jephthah over and over and over again, but I'm scared I'm going to say JP and it'll sound like a gangster or something, like JP, but hopefully I don't. Anyway, so just a little recap, and you know, I did mention that all the judges in the book of Judges are these um, saviour figures, okay, and in some way they'll all foreshadow Christ, okay, as the ultimate saviour, but the further along we go in the book, the more um, sort of entertaining and colourful, but the more defected um, these judges get, okay, and so the the whole uh, pattern we see in the book of Judges is this cycle, right? The cycle where they sin and rebel against God and then they get overcome and overpowered by their enemies and which sort of compels them to cry out to God who in his mercy and compassion raises up uh, this savior figure, this judge or this deliverer to deliver the nation into peace yet again, okay? But where we find um, Jephthah Um, and Samson actually, because they rule at the same time, where we find them in the, it marks sort of the halfway point roughly. And and there's this repeated key phrase in the whole book of Judges. And it just says, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The people did evil. The people did evil. And, um, but it's interesting because at this point it sort of adds a line and it says that the people not only did evil, but they were sorely distressed and crushed. And so we're starting to see signs of deterioration in the conditions of Israel. And it reminds us that this isn't actually so much a cycle that we're seeing, but it's a downward spiral, okay? Things are getting worse and they're getting worse and it's sort of reflected even in the judges and, you know, by the time we get to the final three chapters, we don't really want to read them, okay? So um, this is where we find, this is the context, this point is where we find Jephthah and Samson ruling at the same time. Is that Okay. Is that enough context for us this morning? And so these guys, these two are the most, they probably have the most emotional narratives out of them all. And the most, um, I want to say entertaining, um, is kind of like a movie drama unfolding when you, when you read their stories. And um, Jeff that is is who we're going to look at today. And uh, his narrative is one of victory and tragedy and uh, for the sake of time this morning we're just going to look at the victory on his life and I'm sure we're all very happy about that but I want to make mention that his story actually ends in tragedy because he makes this uh, spontaneous sort of oath that results in his daughter's death and and the reason I mention that is because um, I don't have time to sort of go into it this morning um, because that would take hours and we don't have that sort of time but I just wanted to mention it because no matter how heroic we can make out these judges to be, and Jephthah is mentioned in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, Heroes of the Faith, but no matter how heroic we can make them out to be, they are all inevitably flawed. And I wanted to remind us of that this morning as a disclaimer, because they are defected saviour figures. Okay, this is the reminder who all eventually die like any other natural human. And when they died, Israel would always fall back into sin. And so their heroism foreshadows Christ, but their flaws still point to the need for Christ because he's the Savior who never dies. He's the Savior who died and was resurrected from the dead so we can forever live in that deliverance of peace and freedom. Is that okay? Okay. Right, so let's all remember that this morning. All right, so my next question for you is, have we been caffeinated enough to get through 11 verses? Yes. <laughs> Clearly not. Okay, so... <laughs> right, well, no one's with me. I'll just go on this journey by myself. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad because I've got the microphone and you don't. So Judges 11 <laughs> <laughs> verses 1 to 11. And you would get more context if you read Judges chapter 10 as well, but we don't have uh, time for that. So Judges 11 verses 1 to 11 in the message. And it says uh, it says this, Jephthah the Gileadite was one tough warrior. He was the son of a whore or a prostitute, uh, but Gilead was his father, which means he, he was in an upper-class family. Um, uh, meanwhile, Gilead's legal wife had given him other sons, and when they grew up, his wife's sons threw Jephthah out. And they told him, You're not getting any of our family inheritance because you're the son of another woman or a prostitute. Um, and so Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to live in the land of Tob. Some riffraff joined him. That's the message. Some riffraff joined him and went around with him. Uh, some time passed, and we don't know how much time passed, but some time passed. I remember that. And then the Ammonites started fighting Israel. With the Ammonites at war with them, the elders of Gilead uh, went to Jephthah. They went they went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come, be our general, and we'll fight the Ammonites. That's interesting. They're like, P.S. Sorry about the rejection thing. Anyway, but Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, but you hate me. You kicked me out of my family home. But why, So why are you coming to me now? because you're in trouble right and the elders of Gilead replied that's it exactly <laughs> we've come to you uh, to get you to go with us and fight the Ammonites you'll be the head of all of us all the Gileadites and Jephthah addressed the elders of Gilead so if you bring me back home to fight with the Ammonites and God gives them to me I'll be your head is that right he's saying I'll be your lord and chief is that correct?" And they said, God is witness between us. Whatever you say, we'll do. Okay, so these guys are desperate. And Jephthah went along with the elders of Gilead. The message made him—the uh, message of the people made him their top man and general. And Jephthah repeated what he had said before God at Mizpah. Okay, so that's our key passage for this morning. And um, so our Savior figure for today didn't start out so successfully as you can um, see. His, his whole narrative begins with rejection. Did you, did you notice that? He, the religious people, the elders of the land, his own family took one look at his past and his background and his sort of wrong side of the tracks, lineage, and they disqualified him because of it, which you know it's what religious people tend to do. They look at what your past is, and they disqualify you for it rather than looking at what Christ has done for you. But that, not talking about that this morning, talking about something else. so I throw that in there. <laughs> anyway, so he, he is uh, disqualified. He's rejected, and so he flees to this land, Tob. And I, I like, I like Jeff. That he's sort of like this Robin Hood type figure. He just goes around and with these. Uh Riff raff, as the message <laughs> calls it, or um, social misfits. Okay, just disadvantaged guys, not unlike David, and um, he just sort of like goes around and he he raids the the enemy, you know, the enemy and steals back what belongs to Israel, sort of thing. So he's like this Robin Hood type figure, and uh, he's known as a mighty warrior. Okay. He, and he, he gets a name for being a mighty warrior, and he has these excellent leadership skills, okay? And it's potentially the, one of the reasons why his brothers sort of exiled him out of jealousy and envy, sort of like Joseph's story in Genesis, if you remember. Okay, so this is sort of his, his story. Okay, so that he is, because of this season of exile and rejection in the land of Tob, he is known as the rejected saviour. He's the rejected savior because he spends this season um, in exile before returning as the head guy over the nation, all right? So the title of my message this morning is Own Your Season. Own Your Season. Um, I was going to call it Own Your Rejection. And I thought I would lose everybody in the first five minutes if I called it that. (laughs) 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 And like there's not the best clickbait on the website. Like like it doesn't look super appealing. So (laughs) I changed it to own your season because that sounds nicer for us. But the reality is, the reason, <laughs> the reason is because this is the part um, where we get stuck when it comes to fulfilling the calling of God on our lives. I was going to go down a different angle for Jephthah's story. I was going to talk about being a mighty warrior, and that sort of appeals to me a little bit more than talking about seasons of rejection and exile. Um, but I really sense that God wanted me to, to just keep that like, go with the original idea with what I sense that He might sort of want to say because. It's like the first four weeks we had with Judges is sort of like the easy part. Talking about the Holy Spirit is fun. Talking about the Word of God is fun. Talking about um what was after that. Gifts and, oh, we love talking about gifts and passions and dreams when it comes to God. That's the fun part. And then, um, and even with Gideon, it's like start where you are. Starting is easy. Finishing is hard. But starting is easy, okay? And so, but what about when it when it feels like our calling is exiled or... Uh, when we feel like we've been passed over or hidden or rejected or separated from our purpose. Has anyone ever felt like that? One person hasn't. That's enough for me. So I'm talking to you this morning, apparently. Um, (laughs) You're all liars. I know we've all been through this before. (laughs) But I want to talk about this because I don't feel like you can do a series on the calling of God for your life without addressing seasons like this. Because inevitably, even if you haven't been through a season like this, you will go through a season like this. All right. And the tragic thing is sometimes we get through seasons like this and we stay there. We stay there and we get stuck. It's like when we do next steps. We do home. That's nice. And then we, has anyone, if you don't know what, like, if you've never done Next Steps, you probably won't know what I'm talking about. But home is where we're like, welcome to the family. Life is where we're like, this is what we believe in the Word of God, and that's very good. And then discover is like my favorite one, because it's like here, discovering your gifts. And then team is like, okay, now we can put your gifts into action, and you can start serving the kingdom and join a team, and it's the best. And I think we need like a fifth next step about overcoming disappointment, all right? Because it's like part of the journey. It's just part of the journey in God seasons of disappointment it's just part of the journey don't worry we won't do a fifth next step like that (laughs) that's sort of depressing but (laughs) hopefully it's not as depressing by the time I get uh to the end of this but um we get stuck when our calling is actively assaulted and your calling will be actively assaulted by the way and when we find ourselves in the wilderness of exile when we were so sure we were called to something greater that's where we get stuck. Some of us get paralyzed or even sedated in seasons like this. And then we miss our turn or to be used of God or continue to be used of God because of setbacks and disappointments. Is this resonating with anyone this morning? But in the economy of God, here's the good news is that disappointment and discouragement can actually lead us into our destiny. It's the, the topsy-turvy kingdom of God if we embrace the season for what it is right yeah see what Jephthah didn't know was that his rejection at the start of his story was one step closer to his calling he was exiled that means he was separated from where he started but in his case separation was really just another word for preparation right because God in his sovereignty caused all the misfortune of his beginning and his past and his circumstances to actually prepare him for kingdom purposes up ahead, and we see that okay, so in the land of Tob, when Jephthah was spent time in this uh, in this place he he learned to know God in a um, in the loneliness in fact he is um he uses the personal name of God more than any other uh judge in the book yahweh, and he he learnt military warfare and strategy as he went around with his band of misfits. And he sharpened his his leadership skills, which he already had, but he sharpened them and strengthened them while he was in this season, yeah? He sharpened his leadership skills, turning this riffraff into a fighting force, okay? And this is what, he is a flawed judge. He is a defected judge, but this I commend is that he continued to fight And uh, use his skills, use his gifts, even in the unseen. Even unappreciated by the very people who had exiled him and, and rejected him. And he used, listen, he used his gifts in the hiddenness. He used his gifts in the hiddenness. And he continued to serve the assignment in front of him, even in a season of difficulty. And in fact, what's interesting is he served the very country who rejected him by stealing from the enemies and bringing back to Israel what was there. So I think that is um, commendable, even if it's a little bit out of the box. A little bit out of the box. But, you know, 2 Chronicles uh, 16, 9, I love this scripture. The eyes of the Lord will search the whole earth for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord will search the whole earth. They will range to and fro the whole earth for those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And it's, you know what, it's the season of exile where our commitment is truly proven. Right? Because God watches how you steward things in the unseen before He entrusts you with more. And if we would embrace the season of what feels like separation from our calling as preparation for the calling, then I don't think we would stay there. Does that make sense? Is that too grand and romantic? (laughs) Separation, what feels like separation from the purpose and the calling is actually preparation for it if we embrace it. And the very nature of preparation is you don't stay in it. Okay, you don't study for a test forever. You don't train for a football game forever. You, do you know what I mean? You prepare for something up ahead. That's the very nature of preparation. And I believe that God will use seasons where the calling seems hidden to prepare and develop us for something up ahead, for more. If we're faithful with little, he will make us faithful of much. And you know, King David um, was no stranger to exile, And he was no stranger to his calling, being assaulted, right? Assaulted, that was amazing. (laughs) You're not even a dad yet, and that was a good dad joke. (laughs) I'm going to use that, that was amazing. (laughs) That's funny. Do you guys remember when Neville did the gleanings from David series? Okay, Besides the cabinet series that was pretty much the greatest series I've ever done. This is a te- this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I just remembered. Do you remember that? And it went forever and it was so good. It was like don't stop anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much our favorite series. But anyway, so David. <laughs> the reason I talk about David is cuz there's so many similarities between King David's story and Jephthah. So there's actually many similarities. David also was exiled. He also spent time in the wilderness. He also was surrounded by a band of misfits who he sort of organized into this functioning unit of like soldiers and you know what I mean? So there's very much there's very a s- lot of similarities. And you know, with David, he wasn't He wasn't made a warrior when he beat Goliath. He was revealed as a warrior when he beat Goliath. But he was trained and became a warrior in the sheep pen as a shepherd. When he spent years and years fighting, he fought lions and bears. You guys ever read about that? He fights lions and bears to protect the vulnerable flock. And the reason for that is because God didn't just want a king, okay? He wanted a shepherd king who would one day foreshadow Christ, the ultimate shepherd king, who cares for the vulnerable flock. All right, so David needed the season in the sheep pen. Although it's not so glamorous, looking after sheep as it is sitting on a throne, but he needed the season in the sheep pen. It's probably the most vital season of his entire life. Is that okay? Because the class doesn't always look like the calling David was chosen and called before the foundations of the earth and our calling is we are chosen it's assured David was chosen before the foundations of the earth but he was trained in the sheep pen and he that then he was proven in the public eye when he went to battle against Goliath but the class doesn't always look like the calling and sometimes we have to do groundwork even when it doesn't make sense is that all right Go to do the groundwork, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, Tob means, literally means good land. Good land. And that's where Jephthah went. And it wasn't good for his ego. But uh, it was good for his calling. Because it was good for his character. Because our character is often built in the gymnasium of obscurity. And it's not really seasons of... um fruitfulness and success where, and whatever that looks like for you. But it's not really the seasons of fruitfulness and success that build our character integrity as much as seasons of disappointment and exile and wilderness and hiddenness and whatever that looks like. And you know, I don't want a great calling of God if I don't have the character and the integrity to keep it. Right? And the land of Tob was Jephthah's sheep pen. An exile in the wilderness turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to him. The disappointment of rejection turned out to be the best thing that ever happened because it turned out it wasn't so much a detour of his destiny, but a development of it. Does that make sense? And he didn't figure that out until he was in the next season using the skills that he picked up in the last season. And our job is not to promote ourselves, it's to prepare ourselves. We never we never have to promote ourselves, we always have to just be prepared in and out of season. We just prepare ourselves and allow every season that we go through to prepare us and shape us and mould us. Because I want to encourage someone this morning that no season is wasted in the economy of God. Every season is counts. Nothing is wasted in God if you embrace the season for what it is and they're not always good and that's all right. (laughs) Nothing is wasted because God is never inactive. God is a builder and He's an architect and He's always building and constructing things behind the scenes. He's always doing that. It's in His very nature. So even when it looks like nothing's happening, God's still doing something, right? Right? Okay, the the second greatest temple ever built in history was Solomon's temple. The second most glorious greatest temple was Solomon's temple. But the interesting thing about it is that it was built in silence or obscurity, if you like. Because to, um, to shape the rocks into stones for the temple was quite a noisy and messy process. And we don't like noisy and messy processes. And neither did King Solomon. So he literally exiled the rocks to a distant place where the craftsmen would shape them and cut them and, you know, take them through this process and smoothing them out into stones. But to the observer of the temple, it looks like nothing is happening. It just looks like it's it's sort of sitting there in silence. And it just doesn't look like much is going on. But if you went over here to where the stones were being prepared, there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes. Am I right? There's a lot going on uh, behind the scenes. And uh, a time would come... When the process of preparing these stones would be complete, and then the craftsmen would bring them back, but they're no longer stones now, they're smooth, they're no longer rocks, so they're smooth stones able to fit and submit and cooperate with the rest of the stones to create the second greatest temple ever made. Do you love that? I just love that. It's cool. It's cool, and I say the second greatest temple because the greatest, most glorious temple ever built was the one Christ built. <laughs> and, and you realize Solomon's temple is just a blueprint for us, right? Can you see the connection here? And, and it's 1 Peter 2 verse 5, it says that we are living stones being built into a spiritual temple. So we are, <laughs> we're the ones who go through the process of preparation, and sometimes it feels like God has exiled us from our calling, but exile is part of the calling. Right? And because you can't sever the promise from the process through which God can produce it in your life, so in our lives. And He has to prepare you for what He's prepared for you to do. But, you know, we are the microwave generation. And, um,. Especially me. I'm the Instagram generation. (laughs) It's like, what's that? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You're too slow. You didn't pay attention. You don't know because everything has to be instant. And (laughs) those perfectly curated boxes, those pictures that you can upload instantly, that's the appeal because we don't have to wait for the pictures to upload. Do you realize that's why it's called Instagram? You can instantly upload your life. But interestingly, most people who have Instagram and create these, you know, perfect boxes of our lives will rarely put a picture of the behind-the-scenes messy, noisy preparation process, but it's all, you know. I don't. I don't put pictures of behind the scenes. You people don't know me enough. <laughs> you will get the glorified highlights of my life on Instagram and I will not show you the messy behind the scenes we don't know each other well enough for me to do that actually I probably could for people in here but the world no okay it's not my diary it's Instagram right anyway there's a whole nother message I can save it for youth anyway so Someone's like, preach. (laughs) All right, behind the scenes, preparation, sometimes we forget, is just as important as the delivery of the promise. The preparation for, for the promise is just as important as the delivery of it. But if you forget that, then you won't recognize the season that you're in. We may not recognize or be aware of the season that we're in. And then we might stay in that season for a longer time than we want to because we're not receiving from it what we need for the next. And that's not a law, by the way. That's just a principle, right? It's it's flexible, it's organic. But in Tob, God was crafting Jephthah's calling and hewing his character and laying a foundation for, um, for what is to come, laying the foundation that he would stand on in the next season when he would be used for something more impactful and influential. And one day Jephthah would use the same gifts that he was already using and the same skills he was already using and the same calling to deliver an entire nation into victory. Or I'd prefer to say out of oppression. Out of oppression. And you remember those 11 verses we read at the start? Remember those? Remember those? For those who were paying attention, <laughs> remember the the elders of the land and the religious people had to eat humble pie and come and come and find Jephthah. They had to come and seek him out. They did. <laughs> the the men who rejected him then had to go and find him and be like, you know, word gets around, and we've heard the stories, and even in these you know, these small back villages of Tob, we've actually heard that you are a great and mighty warrior. And funny thing is that our nation actually needs one of them right now in this hour and in this day and in this time. We we need a warrior like you. They always did need a warrior like Jephthah. And this is my favorite part. It's because God knows how to find those whose hearts are committed to his cause even when it's not seen by man. Even when it's not seen by anybody, he knows how to find those whose hearts are committed to his cause. And Jephthah was moved into the next stage of his destiny without any force. He didn't try and possess a position. He didn't try and seize leadership. And, but the very men who rejected him came to find him when they needed him. And Jephthah wasn't called by man until he was fit to fill the need. And this is it, right? Calling is always connected to the needs of humanity. And I don't want us ever, ever to forget that. Ever to forget that. See, the delivery of the promise for Jephthah's life was intrinsically connected to the promise of the people a people a nation who were crushed and sorely distressed okay so we got to remember that calling is always attached to sacrifice and calling is connected to the needs of humanity so the whole reason I'm talking about preparation this morning I'm talking about our calling is because the whole reason God is shaping us, church of Jesus Christ, shaping us and molding us and training us and developing us is to fulfill the mission of God. That is why we are being prepared. And the mission of God and his finest is quenching the needs of humanity, quenching the needs of the crushed, and the sorely distressed. That's why we're here. That's why we want to pursue the calling of God on our lives, is to quench the needs of humanity. And Jephthah was the answer to a question that the people asked in Judges chapter 10, which we didn't read this morning, but they asked this question. They said, who will fight? They said, who will begin to fight? Who will fight for us? Because they didn't have a leader who would begin to fight for them. And to have no leader... In these days, was a reflection of God's judgment over the nation to not have godly leadership, and so there was no one who would step up to the plate and fight for those who could not fight for themselves. And so Jephthah was now—you've given, you've given up, have you? <laughs> he always tries to take photos, and he's like, oh, "Dang it!" <laughs> uh, highlight reels, right? <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> He was fit to fill the need. He was fit to answer the question. Church, we are to answer that question. We are the answer to the question of the people who will fight for us, who will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. And so that is why we are called. This is is the promise of God on your life is to be fit enough and seasoned enough and trained enough to, to feel the need to fight for those who are crushed and sorely distressed in this nation and in this world. That's why we want to be prepared. This is what we're preparing for. This is the promise of God on our lives. Like Lord, let us not sit back passively and critically criticizing a nation that is falling apart, but would we deliver a nation? Let us not sit back passively, but let's prepare and train and be strengthened so we can tend to the sorely distressed and the crushed. Amen. That is my promise, that I would be fit to fill that need by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of God on my life. It is attached to the needs of people. Amen. But the promise can't be severed from the process. Have you ever um, bitten into fruit that's not ripe yet? Worst thing ever? What's the worst fruit? That, that... (laughs) All right, Neville mentioned something that I actually can't pronounce, which shows how uncultured I am in comparison to him. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was in another language or he was speaking in tongues. But um, I reckon, I want to say avocado. Like how disgusting is avocado when it's not ripe? It's like biting into something that's not food. But... um, but, you know what, <laughs> I reckon banana is the worst. Because, you know, it's like, it's so deceiving. It looks, you like, even when it's yellow and then you bite into it and it's like bitter and it leaves that chalky layer on your teeth. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everyone's like, testify. Um, <laughs> so now you're getting excited, all right. <laughs> chalky bananas. But, <laughs> you see, we, we <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the fruit. There's nothing actually wrong with the fruit. It doesn't mean the fruit, just because it it looks good on the outside, tastes bad on the inside, but it doesn't mean that the fruit is bad. It means that it was picked prematurely, right? It it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the fruit. It just means it's underdeveloped and it needed to complete the season that it was in. But we live in a generation that wants everything available every season. Thank you, Coles, for having not ripe anything. All right, so (laughs) that was a bad shout-out. Shout-out to the local... uh, in veg markets <laughs> just like take that off the recording um okay it doesn't mean that the fruit has failed because you picked it It just needed more time the only fruit that fails is fruit that is severed from the vine the only calling that fails is a calling an individual that is severed from Christ is the only calling that will fail is one that is severed from Christ but just because we find ourselves in a season of hiddenness or exile or wilderness doesn't mean that the calling has failed. It means that it's being developed. So we don't want to force things or push things before their time because then it looks like we've failed. It looks like God's failed. It looks like the calling has failed, but it's not. It's just being developed. It's just maturing. It's being seasoned. Okay? When fruit, the funny thing about fruit is when it's ripe to be picked, you don't actually have to pull it off the tree, it'll often just drop. Just drop off the tree, right? No human intervention required. Your calling is assured, and it never fails. It's like you preach, Paul. The calling remains. The calling remains. You remain in the vine. <laughs> so I'm quoting someone else now, Neville. See? <laughs> it's like yes, I see that. Um, <laughs> Psalm um, 57, verse two, David wrote these words. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. To God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Did you notice he didn't say, I will fulfill God's purpose for me? Did you notice that he said, God will fulfill his purpose for me? We all have a purpose for being here. And you know, he wrote those words, not from the palace Or even the sheep pen, but he wrote those words when destiny had driven him into a cave of exile. Literal hiddenness and darkness and. Sometimes what we think is a setback God calls a set up because he was totally set up in that cave, okay? Because he was given an opportunity like no other. If I was ever to remember a moment in David's life, it is this one. He was given an opportunity to prove his character and his integrity more than any other moment of his life, all right? And do we remember the moment when Saul, the man who was on the throne, who had tried to kill David so many times because they all knew that David was destined for the throne. And so Saul wanders into David's cave, completely vulnerable to whatever David wanted to do. And in that, the message says, to go to the bathroom, just in case you wanted to know why (laughs) he was in the cave. (laughs) So if that's not vulnerable, I don't know what is. But um, David, in that moment, had to answer this question in that dark hour in the hiddenness and the exile of the cave when the enemy came in. What are you going to do in that moment? Would he take a shortcut to the throne? Would he kill Saul and take the position that he knew he was destined for? Because Samuel had already anointed him. Would he take a shortcut to the throne? And then the most amazing thing happens after he cuts a corner of Saul's robe, he is conscious conscience stricken and he says I will not lay a hand on God's anointed to the murderer he says I will not lay a hand on God's anointed because I don't want to take the position of king I want to be given the position of king I know I'm destined for the role of king but I don't want to take it I don't want the right calling the wrong way And I don't want anything that God doesn't give. Because if God gives it, he'll sustain it. But if you take it, you're responsible to defend it. and you will burn out. You know, disciples in the musos can join me because they'll take their time. Um, As we know. Um, You know, the disciples tried to defend the calling of Christ in the hour of darkness. (laughs) You heard me. You had me. (laughs) That was a real request, not a vague one. I don't know. Anyway, um, (laughs) the disciples tried to defend the calling of Christ. You know, Jesus is not only the greater David, but he is the greater Jephthah. Did you notice that he also was an illegitimate child in that he was conceived out of wedlock? Okay, so to the elders and the religious of the land, he was from wrong side of the track's lineage. He also was the rejected savior. He was also refused by his family who, who scripture says did not believe in him. He was also exiled and rejected by the elders of the land. He also went and surrounded himself with a band of social misfits, 12 of them, the disciples. So many similarities. This savior figure. Christ and you know those misfits tried to take a shortcut when it came to establishing the kingdom of God because in that moment when the moment came the moment the hour of darkness when the enemy came we read about it in John chapter 18 where the religious and the elders they came and the enemy came to arrest him in the darkness where the if ever there was a moment where the circumstances contradicted the calling of the Messiah this was it right where the enemy comes in to arrest him. And the disciples are like, "Ah, this is not what it's supposed to look like. This is not what's supposed to happen, right? And so they take matters into their own hands. Like literally, Peter picks up a sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear. You remember that? In defense of the destiny. They try to defend The destiny, because Christ's destiny was completely attached to theirs, right? The calling of Messiah was connected to theirs. And so they try and defend it. And Jesus said, you know what he says in this moment? Put that sword back in its sheath. Pivotal moment. And he says... I will establish my kingdom, and I will fulfill the purpose for which I came, but I will not take a shortcut to the throne. and I will establish my kingdom not with a sword but with a cross, not with force, but with sacrifice. and not in the spotlight of glory, but in the obscurity and the shame of the cross. I don't know if we came here to hear this. This morning, because that's not as fun, is it? We all have a cross to carry when it comes to our calling. Your calling is attached to sacrifice. Don't try and do the right thing the wrong way. The desire to fulfill the purpose of God for your life is a noble one and it is not wrong, but we can pursue the right things the wrong way. And we will all have a moment like this. We will have an hour of darkness. We will have a season like this potentially where it looks as though the enemy has come in and he has arrested our calling and he has paralyzed our purpose and he has derailed our destiny. And the question I want to ask you, church, is what are you going to do in that moment? What are you going to do in that moment? Will you still, in hiddenness and unseenness, will you still act with character and integrity? Will you pick up? Your cross and put down your sword. Or will you try and defend something that isn't even yours to defend in the first place? You do not need to fight for your calling. This is what I'm trying to say this morning. If you are striving with it, if you are wrestling with it, struggling with it, seizing it before it's due time. I want to say this to you: put it down. And pick up your cross of sacrifice and servanthood. And you serve. You just serve where you are. And you serve in the hiddenness. And you serve in whatever season you are in. You serve God. And you serve His church. And you serve His kingdom. And you allow Him in these seasons of struggle or hiddenness or rejection. Because what what man rejects, God selects. And what... God has this habit of picking out what man passes over. And he has done that from Genesis to Revelation. Would you agree? And I love this. The same guy, the very same guy who cut off Malchus's ear in defense of the destiny writes these words. He writes, Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honour. Is anybody encouraged by that scripture this morning that he was rejected by man, but he was selected by God? And you are selected by God. And my concluding thoughts this morning is I want to encourage somebody in here, if you are in a season where it feels like you are paralysed in your calling, If if you feel like you've been derailed or delayed or exiled, hidden or even rejected, I want to say to you this morning, stay at your post. Stay in position. Do not give up. Do not abdicate. Do not abandon the calling of God on your life because the calling remains. The calling remains. And He who began a good work in you will finish what He started. Amen. You can stand this morning.